Good morning. Today's scripture reading is Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged short sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thanks, Laura. Good morning, Tara. Good morning. Good morning. Does anyone else hope that the hardest parts of your life are in the rearview mirror? Does anyone else hope that the hardest parts of your life are done and you can finally rest? Is anyone else looking forward to the rest that Jesus will bring when he returns? Yes. And is anyone else, does anyone else need help to learn how to better find rest in Christ now until he comes back yes. with that rest? Then this sounds like the message for us today. Because God knows exactly what we need to go through individually, as a church, before he comes back with that final eternal rest that we so long for. We're going through Hebrews, and Hebrews is about this simple message, and it's explained in multiple different ways. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Two weeks ago, we saw how Jesus is the better Moses. It wasn't to diminish Moses. In fact, the speaker, author, raised up Moses as an example of an exemplary servant, a model of faithfulness in God's house. But Jesus is 
the very Son of God. Jesus is the faithful servant who suffered on behalf of the sins of the people of the world. Jesus is the better leader to follow. And with the Hebrew Christians at the time hearing that, many of which would have been tempted to potentially idolize Moses or make him their supreme authority, the encouragement, the exhortation is see Jesus as the better, the infinitely better leader to follow. And then last week we saw not only is Jesus the better leader, but he's the better model. Those that were following Moses, the servant leader that God sent to them, we were warned don't follow that example of continued unfaithfulness that led to disobedience. And we were reminded that our confidence in our in our securing of that promised rest that God does promise, the land to the people, but pointing forward to the eternal final rest that Christ will bring, our confidence is not in our faithfulness, but in the faithfulness of Jesus, who wasn't just our leader, but who came as, as representing humanity, the new Adam. He's the better model. And we see today that he's leading us to a better rest than what the Israelites were heading to of the promised land of Canaan, of Israel. Jesus is the better rest. Now, in this passage, Psalm 95 and Genesis 2 are quoted. And there seems to be three types of rest that the author or the speaker is bringing out. The rest that the Israelites were promised of the, the land, Canaan, Israel, to, to stop wandering, the rest of the land, the second rest is the Sabbath rest, the rest that God modeled on the seventh day of creation for people to fall to rest as we practice rest, the Sabbath rest. And then the third rest is that eternal final rest that Jesus is going to bring and usher in. Now, let me tell you, we started Hebrews by saying, you might be reminded a little bit perhaps of your, your odd uncle at times as we're going through Hebrews. And one of the reasons why maybe your uncle may be a bit odd, maybe, in your, in your circumstance. It could be because he's just brilliant. And there's certain things that are said. Think about someone when they're saying a lot of things. And a lot of it just might go over our head. It might be a bit difficult to understand. And there are times in this passage where the commentators I read and myself, I'm not sure, is he talking about the promise of rest of the land, the practice of rest, of practicing the Sabbath, or the future eternal rest? Because sometimes it seems like he's combining two of those or all three of them, and it's just not always clear. So I'm not entirely sure which one he's referring to at each, at each time. I'm going to do my best to explain it. And it's just so freeing to be able to say in front of everybody, I'm not really sure, okay? <laughs> and so if you had those ideas of the pastor supposed to know, supposed to know all the answers, and supposed to always be able to provide a good response to all your questions, that's just not me. So maybe if you've met someone who can have all the answers, let me go talk to them. Um, <laughs> But it's okay to not always have the answer. It's okay to say to someone, that's a great question. Let me go look into it a bit, talk to some people, get some, get some wisdom on this, and come back, and maybe I'll have a better answer. You're free to not know all of the answers. I certainly don't. Anyway, I'm going to do my best. Here's the main idea for the passage. There is a current and future rest for those with genuine faith. There is a current, right now, rest for the people of God right now. And there is also a future rest that is coming for all those who have genuine faith in Christ. Now, in this passage, what we see is first recalling again, bringing our attention to the past unfaithfulness, the past rejection of God's rest of the land of Canaan, also known as Israel, 
to that first generation of Israelites after the Exodus, and that's in verses 1 to 4, where we're calling the past rejection of that rest. Then it seems he's getting into this idea of resting now and practicing rest now, verses 5 through 10, and then looking forward to that rest that is coming in verses 11 through 13, and the active waiting for that rest, the taking on the, the word of God, the sword of the spirit on the way to that rest, the rest to come. There's the roadmap. So first, recalling the past rejection of God's rest. Verses one through four, I see in these verses, Canaan rest, that promised land. And then he begins to get into this idea of, of creation rest, of the Sabbath rest that God modeled and that the people of God can practice. And then that, that bleeds into the next section of resting now as well. So first, Cain and rest. Look again at verses 1 through 2. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So what is, what is, what is happening? The person speaking this word of exhortation to the first century Hebrews, he's reminding them that not all of the Hebrews, in fact, most of them didn't enter into that promised rest, the promised land. Remember, we talked about that last week. Joshua, Caleb, and those under 20 were the ones that actually were allowed to enter into that promised land of rest. And he's making it clear as he's speaking to them at that time that there is a promised rest now and in the future that I don't want you to miss. Not all who believed, who followed, not all of the Israelites in that first generation may have belonged truly to the people of God. Not all of Israel was truly Israel, Romans 9, 6. And not all who are in the church listening, calling themselves believers, are necessarily those who are currently experiencing God's rest and will eventually enjoy the rest that Christ will bring in his second coming. He wants us to have that rest now as we look forward to the rest to come. And he wants us to have assurance of it. And so he says, fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. How do we get assurance of that? We could have a whole message about just that one question. How can I, how can I have assurance that I am truly resting in the finished work of Christ right now and can look forward to the rest he's going to bring in eternity? We could have a whole very long message about that. Just a brief few statements to think about. Well, what did Jesus say? How did he tell us to live? What should the life of following him look like? What did he say? What was the greatest commandment? Love God? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. What was the great commission? What was the final marching orders that he gave? Make disciples of all nations. Teach them what he said. Make disciples. If someone, don't, if someone talked about your life, someone that knows you, would they be able to say, there are real signs here that this person, they love God? You know I, know, I know some of their flaws and mistakes, but there's real evidence. There is a love for God in this person's life. Can they say also, there is a love in this person's life for the people of God, for others, not just themselves. I see this work happening where they are longing to love other people. And can someone say about your life, there is a real intentional effort here that this person has a longing to want to see other people come to faith 
in Christ, to be part of the family of God? Are there intentional places in their life where they're trying to make disciples? Do we, can we have that kind of assurance? Can someone say that about, about you? Can someone say that about me? Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that he wants us to make our calling and our election sure as we're growing in things like godliness and affection for one another and love, like growing in those things. Those are some of the ways you can have assurance that you're resting in Christ now and you can look forward to the rest to come. There's so much more we could say about that. But there's so much more that's coming later in Hebrews as well about that very topic of self-examination. Are you truly part of the people of God? He wants us to have assurance and experience his rest now. And that's when he gets into verses 3 to 4, this creation rest, the Sabbath rest. And how we can experience that now. Look at verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So he's quoting Genesis 2, verse 2, God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and he's saying that believers today, those with genuine faith today, now can have participation somehow in that rest of God. On the seventh day, he rested. What, is that, what does that mean? Does it mean God was sweaty and out of breath and had to like, that was a ton of work. Those first six days, I need to get a divine you know, chair over here and sit down. No. Sabbath literally means stop. He stopped working. He said his creation was good, very good. There was an enjoyment of it. There was rest. And there is a practice of rest for the people of God today. Verse 3, we who have believed enter that rest. So faith is key. We who have believed, who believe in Christ, can enter that rest, God's rest. Now, as the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath on the seventh day, one day a week, was commanded for the, in the Old Covenant. It's not commanded in the New Covenant. You won't find it in the New Testament as a command. But there's a principle there of resting, of taking the time to stop and bask in God and who he is and trusting him with your life. You can't do it all. Take some time to stop and rest in God. And there's a little more of that on the way, so I won't get ahead of myself. There is a current and future rest for those with genuine faith. First, he recalls the past rejection of God's rest for the Israelites in the promised land. Then he, he gets into this idea of resting now in verses 5 through 10. So the way we're breaking that down is first the promise of rest in verses 5 through 8, and then the pract practicing that rest now in verses 9 through 10. So first, the promise of rest in verses 5 through 8. I'll, I'll, get to, I'll cover that one briefly. It says, and again in this passage he said, they will not enter my rest, referring to Psalm 95. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. If you're confused, so was I. Let me try to explain this a little bit. What's going on? He's saying, Psalm 95, in which it says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, as you hear God's voice offering you rest in him, accept it. And he's pointing out the fact that this Psalm 95 was written far after the Israelite generation, far after the Israelite generation that didn't enter into the land of Canaan, and after the generation that did receive the rest of the promised land. So he's saying there's another rest. The, the, the promises of the old covenant, the promises of God, including the promise of rest and this promised land of rest to stop wandering for the people of God in the old covenant, that was pointing to a greater, fuller reality found in Christ, a greater rest. And that rest was spoken of and spoken to, and hearing the Psalm 95 about 500 or so years after that wilderness generation of people hearing, even though they're already in the promised land of rest, hey, there's rest for you to be had. There is a rest from God now. And there's a rest from God, I, I believe he's saying in this passage, in the future that's coming. What all of that, those promises and the promise of the, the, the land of rest was pointing to in the future. I hope some of that makes sense. We can be practicing rest now. If you hear his voice now, don't harden your hearts. Accept it. Receive it. Live in the rest of God now as we await the final rest. So, how do we, practicing that rest, verses 9 through 10, it says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So this now, present day, he's talking to them, applies to us today as well, New Covenant believers. There's a rest in God now that he's offering, that we can have now. So what is that rest? What does that look like? So, there's a lot that could be said about experiencing God's rest today. What does that look like in your life, in your experience? Here's a couple thoughts. The rest that we can experience now in the finished work of Christ is possible because we are indwelt, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God who can give us rest, soulful rest. He will remind us, as Christ said, the Holy Spirit would, remind us of the words of Christ. He's, Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. Can I stop? When's the last time when you were worn out, tired, exhausted, and you went to Jesus to find rest for your soul? Like truly. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is a rest found in Jesus. The psalmist says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. 
He is my rock and my, and my fortress, my God, and I will not be shaken. There's this rest in Christ that can be found now. What are some of the ways that plays out? As we spend time with God, as we seek him to find rest, he helps prioritize our lives in ways maybe we wouldn't do it apart from his active work in us. He helps us find the kinds of things and activities in our lives and the rhythms of our lives and what we have on the calendar, the kinds of things that maybe we put there and added work and added things that maybe he wants to shave off. He can help prioritize our lives to live the kinds of lives that are truly characterized by an easy burden and a yoke that is light. Now, that doesn't mean your life might not be hectic. You read through the life of, of Jesus, the disciples, a lot of them would accuse them of being workaholics, would they not? And yet, it's this soulful rest. No matter what the outside looks like, this rest deep in our souls that he gives. He can help prioritize our lives. He can help give us the right perspective. And I know I've experienced some of this. I want more of it. I think it's going to resonate with so many here. He can help give us the right perspective. What do I mean by that? He can help us rest from the worry in our lives that don't need to be there. How exhausting can worry be? He can help us rest from worry, rest from pride, rest from failures now or in the past. Rest from the exhausting effort to please people for the mere sake of pleasing them. Rest from the expectations that are put on you that are not from God, but that feel crushing and that you need to live up to. He can help you rest from the insecurities in your life where you tend to look for your significance and your importance. He can help you rest from those things. I need help resting from every single one of those. And God can provide that kind of rest for the soul. We can practice that rest. And he's bringing up the Sabbath for a reason here. I've said this many times. I don't know, up here, just in conversations with people. In the Old Covenant, the Sabbath day is commanded. In the New Covenant, all the other of the, of the Ten Commandments, they're there, except for the Sabbath, as far as a command. You're commanded to take one day a week, this day, and set it aside to do no work and to observe. It's not a command, but the principle is there. We need rest. And I've said that many times. It's a, it's a principle, but how does that principle apply to my life? How does that principle apply to your life? And I understand some of us hearing this. I believe God wants us to work hard. And I also believe God wants us to rest well. And some of us really need to hear one of those more than the other right now. But it's both. God wants us to work hard. And God also wants us to rest well. So what is the principle of Sabbathing look like in your life? Maybe in your weekly schedule? Do you have that time where you stop and you rest in God's finished work? You rest in God. You enjoy God. You have faith that even though I'm not going to check off four more things on my agenda, God's got 
me. What does it look like in your life? And just confession time, I'm just not the best. I don't think I'm the person right now to come up to and get a great advice about what that looks like in your life. And look, I understand, as I say that, I think there's this American cultural badge that, that we think of. When someone says, I am so busy. I have so many things to do on my calendar. Just, I have no time. And you're like, that guy doesn't even have time to talk to me to three minutes. He must be really busy. What a, what a great thing that is. You know, this, this idea that somehow working yourselves to death is good. It's not good. Okay? It's not. Not resting well is not good. To make the biggest kind of impact in life is not going to be from burning yourself out in three years. It's going to be from the long-term, healthy, working hard, resting well. And I'm still learning what that looks like. We're still learning what that looks like. And maybe it's a time in your life to get some good advice and counsel in that, but only you can make that happen. In your, only you can make the decisions and the choices of what that looks like to work hard, but also to rest well. Okay, there's more that could be said, but we're going to stop for that. There is a current rest that we can practice. There's a current rest that we can live in now as we wait for that final rest, that future rest for all of us who have genuine faith, the rest to come in verses 11 through 13. And here's where I like this part. Verses 11 through 13, we see in these verses a striving for rest. And also as we're striving and as we're actively waiting for that future rest, we're grabbing on to the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God on the way. So first, striving for rest, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. All right, wait, wait one second. He said in verse 3 that we've already entered that rest. And yet here in verse 11, there is a rest to come that we must strive towards. And if I explain the previous verses well, you should, we can already have an idea of what he's talking about there, right? So there's a rest to come that involves active waiting and striving and moving towards, but there's a rest right now, soulful rest that we can live in, in the finished work of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Israelites, and thinking about these three rests of the promised land, of the Sabbath rest that's practiced, and the rest to come, the Israelites on the way to the promised land, even those who didn't get there, they were commanded to take one day a week and to rest. There was a practice of rest in the Sabbath leading up to that land of rest where they can finally stop wandering. And for Christians today, there is a rest, the same kind of rest, in resting in the finished work of God, of resting in God himself, of a practice and a rhythm of that as we look forward to what that promised land was pointing towards, the future, final, eternal rest that Christ is going to usher in when he returns. So, what does that final rest look like? What are we longing for? Like, what are we waiting for as we have rhythms of rest now? And I'm only going to say a little bit because there's a lot more coming. In chapters 11 and 12 of Hebrews, he gets into it. I'm just going to mention it. There is a new kind of land coming. A new sort of city. After this present earth 
and this present heaven are shaken one more time. There's a new world coming in which Christ the King is going to set up in a way that there is no doubt. There's no longer going to be, yes, there's enough light to believe and enough darkness to doubt. That new city and that new heaven and that new earth that Christ is going to bring and usher in as he rules and reigns in peace and in righteousness and in joy for the people of God and the new heavens and new earth forever, that's coming. And, and 11 chapters 11 and 12, just wait till we get to more of that. Revelation 14, 13 says about this rest, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. I want two things I want to say about this. Blessed are those who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors. If any of us has the thought that the coming eternal rest of God is going to be boring, I don't know how to unbluntly say, just remove, kindly ask that thought to leave. The rest that is coming is not going to be boring. The rest that is coming is life to the full. We get a small little picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of life with God, unhindered, having dominion over the world that God has made, made in his image, a relationship unhindered with others, with the creatures that God has made, with ourselves, and with the world. That rest that was lost, that was distorted, that was twisted, God is working to bring a final full rest where there will be life to the full, devoid of the monotony and the drudgery of this life, devoid of the sin and the pain and the mourning and the death of this life. That's part of what the rest to come will be like. That's one word I want to say about Revelation 14, verse 13. The other one is I marvel about the fact that he says that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. I just want to point out the short time I know it feels like a long time. The short time that we're here, how incredible is it that the way that God works in us, the steps of obedience that we take in submission to God as, as the Holy Spirit of God works in us, and we say yes, and we live the kinds of lives that, that honors God and that he works through, there is an eternity coming in which those steps, those yeses to God have a forever impact I wish we could get just a little preview of what that means and what that looks like. But can I just tell you right now, your life matters. Every decision you make has some kind of eternal impact. And what God is going to do for those who have rested in the finished work of Christ is simply celebrate the good decisions in line with the will of God for eternity. So what do we do on the way then? How do we have some of this assurance that that rest that's coming is something I can cling to and believe? It's for me, it's for you. Do we just sit around and wait? No. We take the word, the sword of the spirit as it's called in Ephesians 6, on the way.
Look at verses 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You know, I'm going to read that again. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The sharper the knife is, the easier the incision is. The sharper the knife is, when you're cut by it, you may not notice it right away. I'm not going to share the whole story, because I do tend to get queasy, and I didn't eat that much this morning. <laughs> but there's a story where I still have some stitches on my leg, where when that cut happened, I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it right away, and that kind of freaked me out. God's word is compared not to a knife, but to a double-edged sword that effortless, effortlessly cuts through souls. And guess what? There's no body armor from this weapon. And the author here in Hebrews is stressing the power of God's word to enter the deepest recesses of a person's being, to reveal the motives unknown even to the person at times reading it. And there is no escape. None will slide by, God's, by God unnoticed in the end. His word will find you out, pierce you through, and disclose what's really going on. The secret thoughts, the secret plans, the secret intentions at the real center of your life. It will be made known. It will be revealed. It will come to light. So... Why wait? Why wait? Don't wait to go to the doctor until all you get is bad news. Go to the great physician now. Be honest. Be open. Come into the light. And let him heal you. Let him heal you. I want to address... Believers, and then I want to address people that either are really doubting or struggling with belief or simply are not believers. So for believers, maybe one of the questions you have is, what about the times when God's word does not seem alive and active? I'm going to read to you a quote by N.T. Wright. He said, if you open yourself day by day, week by week, to the message of Scripture its grand sweep, and its small details, and allow the faithful preaching of Jesus and his achievement to enter your consciousness and soak down into your imagination and heart. Then the admittedly uncomfortable work of God will be happening on a regular basis, showing you who you really are, where you really are, and what's going on deep inside. 
you find that over your life of reading God's word, that the word is reading you. And sometimes, there will be times, that it seems like God's word is like this, a sword that just cuts right through to who you really are, of what's really going on in your life. It will be as it's, it's spoken in Jeremiah, his word is like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. But then for the, for the majority of our life, it's more of a slow, over time, the word of God changes us, shows us over the long haul who we are, who he is, and what he is slowly changing in us. And maybe you're thinking after hearing that passage and listening to this, that does not sound very restful. Aren't we talking about rest? True. doesn't. The Christian life is not always easy. And he will often dig up parts of us that maybe we don't know that are there. I'm experiencing some of that. Exposing the word of God like a mirror to our, to our true self. Not just who God really is, but who, who we really are. And he'll dig that up. And sometimes he'll go deeper than you want him to. And we do that throughout our lives. And he does that throughout our lives. Not to make things hard for us for no reason. He digs deep in order to provide deeper healing. Deeper rest. On the way to the rest that is coming. So don't give up. Keep persevering. Have trusted people in your life that you can talk to. Come to the light and let them heal you. Keep striving, as we're going to see continually in Hebrews. Keep pressing forward towards Christ, because what a reward at the end. Oh, I wish I ended with that, but I didn't. For those of us who are, you're not really thinking that. You're more on the side of, I don't really know if I believe any of this stuff. And I'm really the only, I, I want to be the only judge of my own life. I don't like this idea that I'm exposed to God and there's this judgment coming. I don't know how to say this unbluntly either. He's not just anyone. It's not just anyone who's going to judge you. It's the word of God. It's the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. So listen. It's not going to be the media that judges you, thank God. <laughs> it's not going to be your conservative or your liberal professors or friends that judges you. It's not going to be the majority consensus, whatever that is, because it changes constantly. 
It's not going to be your friend circle. It's not going to be your family. It's not going to be Christians. It's going to be the word of God. It's going to be Jesus. He says in John chapter 12, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. I'm going to read that again. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So don't wait until the time that you cannot hide anymore to go to the great physician, to the healer. Because who are we talking about? We're talking about the one, as it says in 1 Timothy 2 and 2 Peter 3, who longs to show patience, mercy, long suffering, which is the same as patience, but who desires for all to repent and come to the truth. Who will give chance after chance after chance, who just wants to show mercy. That's the judge who's calling out to you. That's the judge when you hear, don't let your heart, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. That's the one speaking. That's the one who wants to give you rest. So don't wait. I heard someone say recently, very recently, something like, There is a touch, a physical touch, that can do something that words can't do. No matter how powerful, no matter how true, no matter how great. There's a touch that can do something words can't do. And what did Jesus do to provide this rest that he wants us to have and have assurance of? He came and he touched this world. It's what we do every week at Terra. We celebrate communion. He came to give himself, his body torn apart, his blood given freely, willingly, voluntarily to forgive us, to provide rest now and that rest that's coming when he returns. So I'm going to pray as the band comes up and we receive communion. Father, you know every heart here. You know every person here. You know those of us who are hurting, who are tired, who want so badly for the worst parts, the hardest parts of our lives to be done and over with so that we can finally rest. But God, you also know exactly what we need to experience and go through before that final rest. So I pray, Lord, would you encourage them to let you keep digging, keep moving, that they would keep persevering by your power and your grace, Holy Spirit. And God, I pray for those of us that maybe 
we don't, we don't have assurance. We don't really know if we're resting in you. We can't really think of reasons why we should have assurance that that rest that's coming is for us. And maybe there's some holy fear there that in not coming into the light, of not going to the great physician, there's only bad news coming. God, would you speak to them? And Lord, whether it's while we're taking communion, that they ask someone to go pray with, to talk to them, or maybe after the service, even when they see people rushing to put chairs away or thinking that we need to leave, we don't need to leave. We have time here. So Lord, encourage them to stay, to talk to somebody. And God, we thank you for the kind of judge that you are. You came into the world not to condemn the world, but that through you the world might be saved. Without you, we're condemned already. All of us. Yet you desire all to turn away, to turn away from our sins. to confess them to each other, to you, to believe that you took them once and for all on the cross. Once and for all. And to live in that rest that you've freely given. That we would practice that in our lives now as we await and long for and look forward to that rest you're going to bring. So God, do what only you can do. Help us get out of the way even of ourselves. You expose things in us we can't do, we don't know about. That only you can show us. So do that, Lord, and give us a greater hunger for you. A hunger that lasts, that isn't just for a Sunday, that isn't just at a retreat, that isn't just for a weekend, but the kind that lasts, that remains. We're gonna have struggles, we're gonna mess up again, we're gonna have doubts again, we're gonna believe lies again, but God, give your church, this church, a hunger for your word, a hunger for Christ, a vulnerability and a willingness to speak to each other in love and in grace. Remove the fear that we have of how other people will see us, about the judgment we place on our own lives, our own hearts, and the way other people see us. Remove that, Lord. You are the one judge, the only judge. You alone give rest for our souls, the kind that lasts, the kind that doesn't go away when the caffeine's gone. And when the easier week is done, or when we've crossed off every item on our, on our list, when we're done with the homework, 
when there's someone we, we want so badly to approve of us or show that they care about us, that we can somehow only rest until then or only remain in your rest if we keep that or if we do something. God, it's a long-term rest. It's a real rest. It's a deep soul rest. Thank you, Jesus, that you give that freely, without price. And help us live in that. And would you come back soon, please? Amen.